You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Well, good morning. So good to see you. I ask you to please take your Bibles and go to Isaiah chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. You can use one of the Bibles there on the ground next to you. And you can turn to page 607, or you can even use your device. And I'm sure you can find there on BibleGateway.com or something else, Isaiah chapter 9. And we want to take a little break from Galatians and turn our attention to the great Christmas story. That's something we remember every Christmas, the great hope we have in Christ. You know, and sometimes there are preachers on Sundays like this will get up and, and tell you that Christmas isn't about hot chocolate and presents and family gathered around with cheer, and those preachers are wrong. Christmas is about those things, It's just not only about those things. Christmas is about toasting and laughing and smiling, being our favorite, because with Jesus, the infant and infinite king, what he did for us in his arrival is reason for us to repeat the sounding joy and to reverb with joy. And so this is what the prophet Isaiah tells a gloomy and dark nation of Israel And this is what the Holy Spirit tells a people in Tomball, Texas, who are also walking in darkness and are troubled and feel oppressed in their souls. Isaiah has a word for all of us. And so as we do every week, if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. And we'll begin in actually Isaiah 8, verse 18. But our main passage today is gonna be Isaiah 9, one through seven. And the Holy Spirit tells us through our brother Isaiah, Here I am with the children the Lord has given me to be signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of armies who dwells on Mount Zion. When they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the spiritists who chirp and mutter, shouldn't a people inquire of their God? Shouldn't they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Go to God's instruction and testimony. If they do not speak according to his word, there will be no dawn for them. They will wander through the land dejected and hungry. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. They will look toward the earth and see only distress, darkness and the gloom of affliction and they will be driven into thick darkness. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, He will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land of the east of the Jordan, to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing the spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod of their oppressors on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice 
and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us. Help us to have a joy in your presence before you now that light shines in the darkness. And it's in this child's name that we pray. Our Christ child, our Savior, our risen King that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Everyone in this room right now needs to heed this urgent message. Every single one of us needs to heed this message. Don't grow old. Stop it. Right now, just resolve. Don't, don't grow old. And I know our bodies are fading. There's no doubt. I mean, I hurt myself sleeping. There's nothing we can do about that. I'm saying don't grow old in your joy. I mean, the other day, my son, who just was freshly turned four, get into my truck and every day he wants to listen to the same Mickey Mouse songs. And I just had to tell him, I mean, son, we've heard these songs more than should be legally allowed by iTunes. I can't, I can't do it anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna lie to you, tell you my phone's not working. It's working. I just can't do it. I'm sorry. He, he, he doesn't get tired of it. I mean, my kids will watch the, sh- the same show over and over and over. I have no idea how they can keep watching Santa Pups 2 <laughs> over and over and over. But you know, I thought about it this week and I thought maybe something's wrong with me. Maybe I'm the one that's missing something because their childlike joy is biblical, commendable by Christ. Be like a child, our Lord says. Repeat, as the song Joy of the World tells us, repeat the sounding joy. Listen to it again and again. Tell others, tell others again and again and again. Because listen, beloved, at Christmas, we Christians, we are in danger of losing the pop and the zeal for the birth of Christ and what it means for us now and forever. So the prophet Isaiah pulls us together and says, beloved, listen to the sounding joy. The sounding joy. As we read, now we're going to look at Isaiah 9, 1 through 6, but we read a little bit of the context in, verse, in chapter 8, the verses 18 through the end. The nation of Israel is in shambles. They're not obeying God. They're constantly under threat of invasion, being captured, ransacked, corruption, in a constant state of fear. And they can't even figure out where to look for help. Look at Isaiah 18, verse 19. Isaiah says, when they say to you, Inquire of the mediums and the spiritists who chirp and mutter. When they're saying, hey, we need help, let's go look for the witches and the warlocks. They should help us. What does Isaiah say in verse 20? No, go to God's instruction and testimony. Go to God's word, not witches and warlocks. The the nation is totally lost. That's why he says in verses 21 and 22, they will wander through the land dejected and hungry. They're gonna be famished, no food, and rage, and they're gonna get so mad, they're even gonna look upward and they're going to curse God because they're totally lost. So that's the context of Isaiah 9. And then Isaiah 9, 1, after all this, people wanting witches and warlocks, wanting to hear from spiritists, cursing God, Isaiah 9, 1, nevertheless. This is a fancy word for however. God is merciful. 
God has something for them. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that at former times. It's not gonna be like this for a long time. God has something for them. And right now, church, God has something for you. We are wandering in darkness. This is a simple message of Christmas and Christianity. God has something for you. When we're wandering in darkness and we've mismanaged our lives, we've gone to other sources for direction instead of the holy God, and we sit in the rubble of our decisions, nevertheless, God has something for us. And look what he says in the middle of verse one of chapter nine, verse one. But in the future, so this nation was saying, hey, let's go talk to the fortune tellers. Isaiah says, I have a fortune for you. I have something to share with you. In the future, he will bring honor. You know, I love our friends at Emmanuel Church, Nashville with Ray Ortland, and they have a mantra at their church. Uh, it's kind of like they're our cheer. And I hope you're not offended by any of the language, but if you are, I trust you'll get over it. Mantra point number one, I'm a complete idiot. This is like what they say as they're gathering sometimes together. I'm a complete idiot. Two, my future is incredibly bright. Three, and anyone can get in on this. This is what Isaiah is saying. We are complete morons. We've mismanaged our lives, but your future is incredibly bright. And anyone can get in on this in Christ. That's why he says, in the future, look at where this is gonna spring out of. He's gonna bring honor to the way of the sea, the land east of the Jordan. He's talking about all these kind of other lands away from Israel. And look, to Galilee of the nation. So something is going to spring out of Galilee that's going to bring joy to the world. Verse two, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of the darkness. Now listen, I don't care how old you are. There are certain situations where darkness is a little scary. I get why my kids prefer nightlights because street lights, they're just nightlights for adults, aren't they? Oh, nightlights for our, our homes. Isaiah is saying those that are in pitch black unawareness of their need. No clue, bumbling about the light is coming on. Folks who are lost, they're going to be found. If you feel spiritually helpless, trapped in a realm of just non-discovery about your life, no help, even neglected, hope is coming. That's the message of Christmas. Hope is here now. The high beams of the Holy One of Israel are cranking on. And beloved, I wonder, do you hear what's happening in the future foreground of everything Isaiah is saying here? What does Jesus say when Jesus is walking through the land of Israel teaching? As he's walking and, and dust is being kicked up by his sandals and he sees the Pharisees and their darkness. And then he sees the tax collectors and their darkness. And then he sees those demonized and those diseased and those paralyzed overcome by darkness. What does a voice from Galilee cry out? I am the light of the world. And anyone, anyone can get in on this. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but have the light of life. Those who walk in the darkness, Isaiah says, a light has dawned. And Jesus says, I am that great light. 
And when you see Jesus, friends, you see everything. When you see him by faith, the darkness lifts. You see your life and you see your sins. You see your problems and you see your decisions, but then you see Jesus and he's bigger and he's brighter and he's stronger, more luminescent than everything else in life. And he's more assuring than anything and than anyone you've ever encountered. That you know, even in the midst of all of your pain and all of your problems and all of your sins, that you know that with Christ, I'm going to be okay. He's making everything okay. And then joy floods in. This is not just the Christmas experience. This is the Christian experience. That when you see Jesus by faith and you believe in Jesus by faith, joy flows. Look at verse three. You've enlarged the nation and increased its joy. I love that phrase, increased its joy. I'm sure maybe you remember GDP from economics. I'm sure you were all thinking about that this holiday season. The gross domestic product of a nation's economy, the value, worth of goods produced, sold, services, yada, yada. That's important stuff. But you know what's even more important than a GDP? The GDJ. Gross domestic joy. He increased the nation's joy. This can happen in the city of Tomball. He can increase our joy. This can happen in Texas. This can happen in the United States. This can happen in Bulgaria. This happens in the book of Acts. Let's talk about this city. And it says in the book of Acts, there was much joy in that city. Their gross domestic joy was soaring. Beloved, God is in the market of joy. Isaiah is telling Israel, God is going to increase your joy. And he's telling you right now, God is after your joy. Is your joy increased? It's a tragic thing for us as Christians that far too many of us, we, if we kind of tr- plotted our joy, like the stock market, it would be like conversion, boom, soaring. And then it goes down a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And then, oh, another like big life event, something happens up, down, up, down. And then some of us, we just kind of flatline and then we just kind of cruise into heaven. But this is not what God wants for us. I want to increase your joy. So it keeps going up and to the right, ever increasing. Because when you know what really happened at Christmas, and when you know what really happened at the cross, and when you really know by faith that there is not a corpse in Jesus' tomb, and when you know what's coming at the end of the age, your gross domestic joy soars. Because look at verse three. The people have rejoiced before you in two ways as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing the spoils. Now, this is a great Hebrew way of thinking about joy. So let's think about the first one. At harvest time, they rejoice at harvest time. I'm sure you all rejoice at harvest time this year when you're threshing your wheat in your backyard. So we gotta think about this. What is it? If you're in a famine, if you're in a very difficult economic scenario, and then all of a sudden, You've got bukus of food and all of a sudden you can eat the best of the best. You've got more than you could ever think to have. You would party. You'd be so happy. You would rejoice. God's saying, 
you're rejoicing as though people rejoice at harvest time because of what I've done for you. The second one's great. As they rejoice from dividing the spoils, the plunder. This is about battle, war. Rejoicing as when they beat the bad guys and we got all their gold now. It makes me think of Iraq when you got soldiers taking pictures on Saddam Hussein's gold toilet. Plunder, rejoicing over the spoils. It's like, hey, we beat the bad guys. You wanna dance on their gold bars together? I'll take some, you take some. It's gonna be great. And I'm, I'm sure most of us saw the Astros win the World Series and go into that locker room scene. They got the goggles on. They're spraying champagne everywhere. They're screaming, partying, having so much fun. God says, that's, that's Christmas joy. That's how you should party. Like Jose Altuve, what I've done for you. You should jump like Michael Jordan after he won his six rings. Toasting, cheering, smiling, being your favorite. You know why? Because verse four, for you, here's the reason, for you have shattered their oppressive yoke. And the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. We rejoice this way because God has shattered the chains of sin and what oppressed us. The rod used to beat our shoulders, to pound our backs into submission, to defeat. God breaks that over his leg. Done. Free. And I wonder right now, do you feel crushed? Are you oppressed? Are you beaten down? You don't have to fake it till you make it. You don't need to try to just put on a happy face. Don't, don't do that. If you are beaten down, you need to know God has something for you. So hang in there. It's coming in a little bit in this passage. God has something for you. Just as he did, look at the end of verse four. Just as he did on the day of Midian. Now this, there's a lot packed into this. At the day of Midian, here's what he's referencing. You may be familiar with a guy named Gideon in the book of Judges. He's hiding in the ground from the enemy. And an angel of the Lord shows up and says, there you are, mighty man of valor. You're like, me or, yeah, you, guy in the hole, you. I want you to get an army together and we're gonna go attack the Midianites and we're gonna beat them. Gideon tries to get out of it with a couple tests. Of course, God won't let him get out of it. All right, I guess I'll do it. He goes and he gets his 30,000 soldiers. And he says, look, God, I've got the army. Let's go, let's do it. What do you think God says? Good job, Gideon, let's go get them. He says, nah, too, too many. Let's get this down to 300. Okay, because here's why. Here, here's what God says in the book of Judges. You have too many troops for me to hand the Midianites over to them. Or here's why, or else Israel might elevate themselves over me and say, my own strength saved me. Christmas is the reminder that you cannot save yourself. Christmas is built in by God's grace to our calendars to remind us, you need a baby. <laughs> you need someone to save you. You cannot save yourself. You need God in his strength and in fact, you now need to turn in all of your attempts at self-salvation. Look at verse five. So after you just talked about this day of Midian, this, this army, this encounter, this battle, verse five, for every trampling boot of battle and the bloody garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. God is saying, my empire of grace 
has a massive bonfire fueled by the uniforms of self-accomplishment, fueled by the medals of self-importance, and fueled by worn-out boots of war. So go ahead, let's turn them all in, and let's burn them. Why burn them? You don't need them anymore. You don't need your boots of war. You don't need your military regalia. You don't need your medals. They're done. It's over. They don't serve a purpose. You can't hold on to them. Your attempts at fighting for your own salvation and establishing your own morality and trying to claw and scratch and fight your way into being a good person to conquer your sins, to conquer Satan, and to get yourself eternal life, God says it doesn't work. I want you to burn all those attempts and come to the one that I offer. It only comes one way. So how? How does God conquer the oppressors? How does he increase our joy? Why should we turn in our battle garments and burn them? What's the signal for the bonfire? If you are in need, here's what God has. Here's the reason for sounding joy. Verse six, for a child. After all of this, a child will be born for us? A child? God, your master plan is now a baby? The answer to all of our problems. I mean, this should cause us to pause, to slam on the brakes, and hear that kind of screeching sound in a movie. The like, what? So, you're, so okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be liberated from my oppressors. My joy is going to increase. The whole nation's going to be set free. I'm going to turn in all of my garments for fighting and my boots for war. And a baby's the solution? I mean, when has a kid ever actually helped a major problem? You know what would help this five-alarm fire? An infant. You know what would help me pick up all of this food that got thrown around in the kitchen and the the dogs going nuts? You know what would help? My two-year-old. Come and help me do this. No. My kids can't even unhelp unload from Costco. And now we're talking about oppressions and darkness. But there's something different here about this child. And at Christmas, this is what we remember, verse six, for a child will be born for us. For us. This is the key, friends. For us. Jesus was born into this world for you. Exact purpose, to liberate and to save and to free from sin, to forgive and to make new, to free you from your oppressions, to liberate you from what beats you down. The eternal son of God came for your sins. He left heaven. He took on a human body, skin and blood vessels and hair follicles and a digestive tract. Took residence in Mary's womb, was born, he was burped, he was washed, he learned how to walk, he grew up in Israel, his voice changed, he had acne, all of these things. So he could live a sinless life to die for you, to pay for your sins. This child, Christ was born for us to do all of the things Isaiah prophesied that we've read about to be the great light, to increase our joy, to help us rejoice, to shatter the oppressive yoke. And remember what Jesus says, take my yoke. I will take that oppressive yoke away and I will smash it in my hands. 
and take my yoke. Learn from me. For my yoke is easy, non-oppressive, and my burden is light. I will carry you. Follow me, and I will give you rest. Is that what you believe? Is that your joy right now? Isaiah continues by saying, he was the son, a son will be given to us. Given. Have you received him? If something's being given to you, and you might, God wants you to possess it. Have you received this child? Have you received Jesus as your savior? You've thrown in your efforts at fighting for, to save yourself. You've tossed them into the bonfire of grace. You save me, Jesus. I, I'm done trying to save myself. I'm trusting your efforts. I'm trusting your work. I'm trusting your life, your death, your resurrection to save me. And I'm trusting your leadership and power because the next verse is incredible. It says, verse six, and the government will be on his shoulders. Don't think about the United States of America right here. That's too small and not impressive. God is not impressed by the United States of America. He, he wants more. His government, his reign, his rule, his authority extends beyond. His cosmic rule and reign, what he's saying here is that this little baby with these cute, squishy little shoulders, the universe is his responsibility. So the one who rules the entire universe, as Hebrews 1 says, that he upholds the universe just by the word of his power, was now shrinked down and was living on amniotic fluid. The government is his. The governing powers of the universe are on his shoulders. He is our Galilean and galactic emperor. And his names he, should, he, should, he will be named. You know, these, these are kind of like nicknames for Jesus. You know, we kind of give our kids nicknames. Natalie calls Oliver Bubby. And every time he's like, I don't like that. Like, sorry, man, you don't get to pick nicknames. I call him Chico. So we're half Mexican, so I just give him a little, little Mexican heritage. <laughs> just means boy. Chico. Hey, Chico. He goes, call me Chewy. No, you can't pick your nickname, man. You just, you just get it. And Jesus these nicknames are freighted with meaning, packed with power. And they're not ironic. And sometimes we give people ironic nicknames. If you had like a six, eight, 400 pound friend, hey, tiny, be like, okay, yeah, it's ironic. These are not ironic. He is these things for you. So he is these things, so your gross domestic joy can increase. He is, one, he shall be named Wonderful Counselor. You know, Jesus, he's never had a bad idea. And sometimes we act like he, he does. He's never had a bad idea in his life. And he will never have a bad idea. He's not in the habit of giving bad counsel. He gives the direction, the guidance, the insight we desperately need. The last will be first. The first will be last. The meek will inherit the earth. Those who mourn will be comforted. And those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be satisfied. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Forgive 
70 times seven. And whoever believes in me will never perish, but will have eternal life. He is a wonderful counselor. Do you view him as that today? I know it's easy to look at him in the New Testament and go, yeah, man, he gave great counsel. Wow, brilliant. How do you treat him today? Is he your wonderful counselor? Or do you go to modern day spiritists and mediums and witches and warlocks, Google and mommyblogger.net, whatever, over Christ? Treat him as your wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Mighty God. He is very God himself. I've said this a thousand times before, and like my son that loves Mickey Mouse, I'll never get tired of saying it. He is not God Jr. Jesus is not diet God. He's not JV God. He's not some man who became God and said he is the eternal son of God who became a man. All the might of God bundled into those fat rolls of an infant. All the power of God contained in the man crucified and raised from the dead for you. And he is the eternal father. He will be named eternal father. That sounds bizarre, doesn't it? Because he's the son of God. He's, he's being named the eternal father, everlasting father. What does that mean? This is not a Trinitarian term like father, God the father, God the son, God the Holy Spirit. This is being used in a way to describe like a benefactor, a provider, a protector, a kind leader. Isaiah is saying Jesus has been this from eternity. He's a kind provider, a kind protector, an interested and invested father-type figure. He loves and he does this for you. And he's the prince of peace. His empire is one of peace and one of grace. Nothing to fear. Salvation secured, enemy conquered, Satan vanquished, sin's domain broken, and the kingdom of Christ, this is where we dwell now because this child is for us and his throne, verse seven, it's the throne of his father, David. What the Israelites were looking for, what they longed for, who will rule over David's throne? Jesus is the one born in that line as the New Testament tells us. But I love this in verse seven. The dominion will be vast. The ESV translates it as his, his kingdom, his government will have no end. It's increased, will have no end. Sometimes we talk about politics at Christmas and the, and the political kind of angles of Christmas. That is totally true. From the Bible's perspective, from God's perspective, church, Christmas is a political message. His dominion, his government will be vast and have no end. Jesus says, I want it all. Every corner, every corner, of this universe, mine. My kingdom will have no end. Borders mean nothing to Christ. That's why even so-called closed countries are filled with Christians because his kingdom is vast. Ruler of the universe. Christmas is about the cosmic reign of Christ. His kingdom goes from Syria to Sudan, from Canada to Cuba, and, to, and he reigns over comets and quasars and wherever black holes dump all the stuff they bring in, Christ says, that's mine. That's my kingdom. That's where I reign. Because only a living Jesus, 
only a living victim of crucifixion. A conquering king can reign over everything. And beloved, his kingdom is defined. Look at what he says in verse seven. He establishes it and sustains it. It started this way and it's staying this way with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. This kingdom is full of justice and righteousness. Justice happened at the cross. Sins were paid for. They weren't just kind of ignored and swept away. And okay, Jesus, since you, know, since you showed that you're, you're willing to be a savior, okay, we'll save these people. No, Jesus died for our sins paid for them in full. Now that we could be righteous. Now that the righteousness of God could be put on us by faith. And you are brought into the kingdom only by the righteousness of Christ, by being declared righteous. And the moment you believe, the moment you trust in Christ, you will have all the righteousness you will ever need. You will never become more righteous. You will never become less righteous in God's sight. From now on and forever you will be righteous in Christ and his kingdom. Are you in his kingdom? This is the great question right now for every one of us in this room. Are you in his kingdom? Is Jesus your wonderful counselor? Is Jesus your protector? Is Jesus your reason to wear champagne goggles of joy? Have you given up trying to manufacture your own salvation? Look to the Christ child. Look to Christmas and see Christ, your savior. You can, you can believe in him today and you will be saved. This is what God wants. Because look at verse seven, the very end. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. God did it. And he did it with his zeal. God's passion to save sinners is the engine behind Christmas. God's zeal made this happen. God loves to save sinners like you and me. Don't doubt it. And friend, don't ignore it. And don't get tired of it. Christian, how is your joy? Has the repetition of Christmas doled on you? Repeat the sounding joy. Remember what really happened for you. Let the cries of a newborn Christ be your sounding joy. And let the, his cries from the cross, it is finished. Be your sounding joy. And let his words, I am the resurrection and the life and whoever believes in me will live forever. Let that be your sounding joy. When your kids want to watch Santa Paws again, they want to listen to Jingle Bells again, don't grow old. Don't let your joy grow old. Repeat the sounding joy of Christ. Jesus was born to save me. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for leaving heaven for miraculously condensing yourself into, into the womb. Being born and never bailing on us. But you saw 
your mission to the end, to die for our sins. And you rose again from the dead. You ascended back to the Father and you're in live in heaven now. And we rejoice. We rejoice. Jesus, grant us more joy. If there's anyone here, Lord, that doesn't know you, hasn't believed in you, would you open their eyes? Would you open their hearts? And would you move in them so they would receive you with the empty hands of faith? And Lord, would you grant your people more joy that we would be overwhelmed and we would rejoice at harvest time and rejoice as you know, the, the plunder and the spoils. And we would rejoice over you, King Jesus. Help us now. And it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.